Oh, if y'all, I don't know if you could have seen it yet, but the, the, the lessons that the kids are learning this week or this month really are the abiding cycle. Like if you sit down and you look at the four different items, it's describing the abiding cycle, which I think is super cool. So uh, as you guys know, we, studied, we finished up our study in James. I thought about messing with Carrie and saying, well, we got one more message today, but then I didn't do it. Um, I'm excited. What? Come on. One more. Okay, maybe. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm excited. We're going to start a new uh, mini-series this week, um, and God's had this on my heart for quite a while. I've talked to the elders about this a number of times, but I, I have felt like God was, was saying that we need to go through our distinctives again. I know that we go through that in new member training, um, but as far as I can remember, as a body, we have not been through that since we planted the church, which was, I don't even know how many years ago, six years ago. We went through these in depth. We're not going to go as far in depth as we did in those days, but um, we, we study through those to kind of help us understand who we are and who God's called us to be as a gathering place church. Um, and I, I can say for myself, as I've went back through those distinctives, I, I teach those every time we do new member training. And so they're fresh on my heart pretty often. But as I sat down and really looked at our first distinctive that we're going to talk about today, which is our mission, um, it really, uh, things have changed in my life right? I have grown a lot over the last six years. And so while these distinctives were important to me before, they hold so much more value to me now because of what I've learned, because of what God's done in my life than they did before. Um, and I would kind of akin that to um, when you are in a relationship with someone and, and maybe you've been friends or dated for a year or so, you feel like you really know the person. And then like for Bethany and I, I look back in 19 years have passed that we've been married and 22 or so that we've been together and, and I know her and love her so much more today than I did back then. And I didn't think I could know her or love her any more than I already did back when we got married, right? You guys are familiar with, with that concept. Um, I agreed with our distinctives before, um, but not only do they define our church, but what I've come to realize is that they define my life. Like they are a description of who I am. And, and what's really neat, and you guys are going to see this in, in a minute, is the testimony that was shared today, this is true of your life as well. And we see that playing out as we walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't tell Leah and David what I was preaching on today, but if if you take a moment, you think about all the songs that we've just sung and the testimony that we shared and the scripture that we shared. It's all like I almost stopped this after testimony. I was like, hold on, we got to do it again. I'm going to preach now and we'll worship later. But I didn't do it, okay? Um, my hope is that as we go through these, as we wrestle with them, as we think about what these words mean, that, that we are going to discover that, that it's not just true about my life, but you're going to see it in your own life. That you're going to see how God is working in us to create us to be the thing that he calls us to be. So we're going to spend the next couple of weeks going through our six distinctives, which is a, just as a reminder, this is what they are. They're mission, motivation, message, methods, ministry, and multiplication. You can tell a preacher came up with those and it wasn't me, okay? The, the six M's, we call them. Uh, and just for clarification, Carrie, it's only been 23 weeks that we went through James, which is technically less than half a year, which is a pretty good for me, okay? Normally, it's a year or more when we go through a book like that. Um, but we, we spent 23 weeks talking about true faith, about what that means. And what, we, what we've said over and over again and what we've discovered to be true is that true faith continues to grow, and it always reveals itself. 
And that's what our first distinctive really is about on the heels of that study. This idea that our faith reveals itself. God wants us to refocus on who we are and why we do the things that we do. Who he has called us to be. Because if we're unclear on who we are and what we're called to do, we're going to struggle with fulfilling God's call for us. If we only know what we're supposed to do, but not why we're supposed to do it, we're going to fail to understand the significance. But if we understand the, the way, but not the how, then we're going to fail to realize the goals that God has for us. Those two go hand in hand. You can't know the how without the why. They work together. You can know, the dip, you can know them separately, but you're never going to reach the goals for your personal life or for the body of, the body of Christ. I was, I was thinking about it this week. Um, in this way, and I wanted to share this example with you guys this morning. Um, I had uh, a picture up there of a quick trip. Are y'all familiar with quick trips? Kind of like that? Okay, big, big gas station. We're in the middle of finishing one of those in West Monroe. We're doing the fuel system part of it. Um, and, and they have, quick trip is moving into Louisiana. They're fixing to build a bunch of stores in Louisiana. And this is the third store that, that's been built. This is the first one that we've done. And, and Petron as a company has been hesitant to do another one. Um, and, and so I had two big meetings this week with Quick Trip kind of in regards to that. And we're hesitant because this has not been the smoothest project that we've ever done. It's had its, its ups and downs. Um, our struggle is not with, with Quick Trip, with QT, as, as, as we call them. The, the struggle is with the general contractor. And if you're unfamiliar with how that relationship works, there's an owner, which is Quick Trip. They hire a general contractor who is in charge of doing the whole job, right? So they handle all the details. And typically... They don't self-perform, sometimes they do, but most of the time they hire subcontractors, which is what we are in this scenario. So Quick Trip hired this general contractor and the general contractor hired us, okay? And so the communication flow is supposed to go through the general contractor to Quick Trip. And the struggle that we've had is our, our lead installer our, that, that's putting in this job has been doing this work for over 20 years. The dude is sharp. He knows what he's doing. He knows how he's supposed to do things. He knows why he's supposed to do those things. And as we're building this quick trip, some of their designs are different than what we've encountered before. And I would even say overcomplicated. And so our, our project uh, manager, our foreman, would say to the general contractor, why are we doing this piece in this way? And the response he would get every time is, well, that's just how we do it. And that frustrated him. I'm sure you've been in a scenario like that before. Maybe you've even said that to your own children or you as a child had your parents say it. You're going to do it because I said so, right? And that never satisfies anybody. And, and our, our foreman got really frustrated with this guy because he knows what he's doing. But rather than giving the information, rather than giving the foreman the why and just the how, it, it frustrated him. And I don't know if it's because they couldn't answer the questions or if they just didn't want to take the time. Mark could plainly read the how from the plans. You can look at the plans and it tells you how to build it. That's not what he was asking. He was asking, why are we doing it this way? That's important. I think we see the same kind of thing happen in churches all the time. In churches, we have ministries and you have people in leadership, pastors and staff that says, we're going to do this thing and here's how we are going to do it. But often we fail to communicate the why. And the why is the most important part. People are asked or strong-armed into doing something, and they don't understand either the why and sometimes not even the how, yet they're supposed to accomplish this task that they are given. 
And while it's our goal for this to never happen at TGP, the reality is sometimes it does. Sometimes these things happen. And it can happen for various reasons. But going back through our distinctives, we can, by doing that, we can all get a refresher on who God has called us to be, how he's called us to do ministry, and why we're doing it in the first place. Y'all tracking with that? Everybody good? Y'all with me? Okay. So our goal in this study is to understand how God has molded our church and our personal lives to accomplish his goals. Okay. So we're going to look at what God has called us to do both corporately and individually. So today we're going to start by talking about our mission, which is leading people to know God. That's our most important distinctive. If our members don't know God, the rest of the distinctives don't matter. This is where we all have to start. And I've mentioned before, but all too often, people regularly attend church, they participate in its activities, yet they don't know God. And what happens in that scenario is you have a lot of people who are busy doing a lot of activities, and they're meaningless. Not because people aren't trying hard, but because they're not accomplishing what God's intended for them to accomplish. We can't accomplish God's goals if we don't know him. And so I want to talk about that this morning. What does it mean to know God? And I put that in quotes uh, in the question because I want us to talk about that idea of knowing God. We believe that God created man to enjoy a close personal relationship with him. God did not create us to keep a bunch of rules and to focus on right living, which is the focus of a lot of churches. When I was growing up, the most important thing that was communicated to me was that I sat appropriately in church and in Sunday school and did all the right things at all the right time, right? That was the focus. I'm not alone in that, but God created us to live with him. I went back this morning and was, I've just, this is not normally in our distinctives lesson, but I was thinking about our creation. I was looking at Genesis chapter three in verse eight, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from him, hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Here's what I want us to see out of this, is that God was walking in the garden looking for Adam and Eve. That was their practice. That's what we're created for, is to live, to walk in the presence of God. Here's what I want us to understand, is that God desires you, not your behavior. Matter of fact, he could, he could really, the, the behavior stuff is on the side, and we're going to talk about why that is in a minute, because what God desires is you. He wants your heart. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. Even when we do mis- make mistakes, which the Bible calls sin, God still loves us. If you go a little later in that chapter, in verse 21, it says, the Lord God made clothes from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. You guys know the story. Adam and Eve hid. Why? Because they realized they were naked. Why did they realize that they were naked? Because they disobeyed God and they ate from the tree of life. And now they have this knowledge that they didn't have before. And they're ashamed. And that's what sin does to us. When we disobey God, it pushes us away from God. Not that God's moving further away, but we do it. Adam and Eve hid. Right? And even though they sinned, even though they were hiding, God loved them enough. He said, here, let me make some clothes for you. Because God loves us because of who we are, not because of what we do. However, we still got to live in the consequences of our sin. And we see that happen in the lives of Adam and Eve. But I want us to understand that that doesn't change how God loves us. As we remember from the rest of the story, God removes them from the garden. And their relationship with God and with the earth changed. 
They were separated from God because of their sin. And the only way to fix that problem was for God to make us perfect again. And the beginning of us knowing God, as we were just talking about, starts with or begins with God saving us from our sins. And, and this is the part of our, our distinctive of leading people to know God. First, we lead them to know God by experience through salvation. That's where it begins. So what is salvation? John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says this. He says, this is eternal life, that, you may, that, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying that eternal life is this, is that, that you know God and that he knows you. When God created mankind, he created us to live in this perfect union with himself and with one another. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve took the free will that God gave them and chose to use that to, to sin, to disobey and run from God. But because God loves us, he took it upon himself to fix the problem that we created. Have you ever at work had to fix someone else's problem? Yes? No? That happens for me. A lot of my job is fixing somebody else's mess up or me having to fix my own mess ups because I make a lot of mistakes too. And those are never fun. It's not fun to fix somebody else's mistake. It doesn't feel good. It's not something that naturally just, we don't just desire it. But God does because he loves us. John says in chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the same, in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their e deeds are evil. For everyone who, do, who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. All humans have the same problem. We don't seek God. That started with Adam and Eve. From the time that they choose to disobey God, humankind as a race has been moving away from God, not towards Him. We are all born with the inclination to sin. And Paul testifies to that point in Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 12, Paul says this, What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Paul is saying everyone. Jews, Greeks, Gentiles. We all are sinners. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. We're all in the same place. We're all condemned by our sin. But God created us to know Him in a personal, joyful relationship. And it's only through a relationship with God that we can enjoy life as it was intended. That we can get back to that garden that God created us to be in. But because we do not seek God, He seeks us and prompts our hearts 
Look at what John says in chapter 6, verse 42 through 44. This is Jesus. He says, they were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them and he says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Church, this is incredible news. Because not only are we born and the problem of sin is, we, we, we're born in sin. Like, I, we've talked about this before. You, you ever been around a toddler, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old? You don't have to teach them how to sin. They are born knowing how to do it, right? We are all born that way. And we're not seeking God. When a toddler is going astray and they're doing something that's not right, it's real hard to convince them to do the right thing, right? It's hard to convince them to turn around. When they've decided they want something, well, little Isaiah this morning decided he wanted to come up here to the front. Where did he go? To the front, and Mama had to chase him down. That's the life of a toddler, but it's also the life of us. We don't seek God, but God chases after us, just like Colleen chased her baby up here this morning, because she loves him. God does the same for us, because he loves us. Not only has God done all the work to save us from our disobedience and sin, but he also does the work of drawing us to himself because we can't even do that. We're going to talk about this more in a minute. But God uses us, his church, to draw people. The danger we face when we talk about our call to lead people to God is that we're going to feel like it's up to us to bring that to fruition. Right? We feel like it's our responsibility to make sure that people pray a prayer and change their lives in order to follow Christ. We don't have to go out and make that our job because it's not. Because we don't do the work. God will use us in the work. There is a role that we absolutely play. But at the end of the day, it is up to God to draw people to himself. It's up to us to listen to God to be in the right place at the right time as he's drawing people. We're going to talk about that in a minute too. In fact, if we press a decision on someone, we are trying to do the Spirit's job by making it happen in our timing. But what we've got to learn to do is to trust God to do what he does. And we focus on the things that we're supposed to do. Because God's going to draw them in. Our job in the process is to know God for ourselves so that we can testify to his goodness and his love. That's what we were doing this morning. It's testifying to the goodness of God. The second way we lead people to know God is, is to know God by experience through abiding. We all know that it takes time and experience to get to know one another, right? Like if, if you and I had just met and we spent a week together, could we walk away saying we know each other completely? No, we couldn't. That takes time. As I talked about a while ago, Bethany and I have been married 19 years. I know her way better now than I did 19 years ago. I, just a testimony here real quick. We worked on a project the other night and didn't get mad at each other. That is progress right there. That has not always been the case because I'm a knucklehead, Okay. All of us know by experience that it takes time to get to know somebody. And the same is true about God. One of my favorite verses, and it's out of the Amplified um, uh, uh, translation, that we talk about in new member training is Philippians 3.10. And we'll read it in the Amplified today. It says, For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which exerts over believers. And that I may to sh so share in his sufferings as to be continually transformed 
in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. One of the lines in So Will I, I think it's in the second to last verse, talks about if Christ was willing to go all the way to death for us, that we should be willing to do the same. That we should be willing to go to the point of death for the people in our lives that don't know Christ. So you know all those feelings that we've felt in the past when it comes to sharing the gospel with people? All those feelings of what if I get rejected and what if this doesn't feel good in the moment or what if it's awkward? All of that is not worse than death, right? But the only way that ever happens in our minds is if we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. The only way that happens is we develop true faith, right? As we come to know God more deeply, and that happens over time. So how does a person come to know God deeply? Where do they begin? You're not the first to ask that question. We've talked about this a lot. In fact, Jesus, when teaching his disciples about what it means to know and to be loved by God, he said this in John chapter 15, verse 10. He said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. We begin to know God by obeying His commands, walking with Him daily, hearing His voice, and obeying what He says. I loved Lizzie's testimony this morning that when she lost the election and when she won the election, the feeling was the same because for her, in her heart, the success was not a winning campaign. The success was obedience to God. She has come to know that by experience because she trusts God and she listened to Him and she walked with Him. You can't learn that lesson based on Lizzie's experience. <coughs> we can only come to know God for ourselves. I just got something in my throat. I'm not getting choked up over Lizzie. I mean, it'd be okay if I did. <laughs> we can only come to know God by experience as we listen to what he says. We know this passage. It's not in our distinctives, but I felt like we should read it again this morning. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Also, as a side note, Carrie, don't ever fuss me about preaching too long about something. We spent like a year in John chapter 15. So, <laughs> You're an elder, dude. Welcome to the party. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me if anyone does not remain in me he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers they gather them throw them in the fire and they are burned if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask whatever you want and it will be done for you my father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples by listening to God and obeying what it says Obeying what he says, we learn about who God is. And the natural response to that is to want to know him more. We are drawn to God as we experience him. 
And we all testified about that this morning, right? That the more we know God, the more we want to know God. Every time we experience Him, we want to know Him more. And the people in our lives also see God's activity. And it draws them to God as well. One of my favorite passages out of 1 John chapter 4, we read verses 12 through 15. It says, no one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. As we live in obedience to what God's speaking into our lives, as we love one another, God reveals Himself to us and He reveals Himself to the world around us. His love is made complete in us and the world gets to see that love. But John's pointing out in verse 15 that part of people seeing God's love is us telling them about God's love. The people in your life will often see God's work in your life. And you've, you've noticed this before. They will see God's activity in your life and they will attribute it to good luck or karma or anything else that the world can think of to try to explain God's goodness outside of God. And our job as followers of Christ is we are walking in obedience and God's love is being completed in us and people see that is we tell them this is God. This is not karma. This is not good luck. This is not a lot of preparation. This is God doing this in my life because He loves me. And guess what? He wants to do the same kind of stuff in your life too. Thank you. I added this in there, but I think it's important. We help others experience God by sharing our stories, our testimonies of what God has done in our lives. Hopefully all of us are clear on this by now, but for most of my life, I thought that it was the minister's job to tell other people about Jesus, right? I know I'm not alone in that. That's the way it was brought to me as a child. But as we've seen over the years, God has clearly called all of us to share the gospel with others. Now, there's no doubt that God calls some to make ministry their vocation, right? And we see Paul speak to this in his letter to the church of Ephesus. Let's look at this together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Paul says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. Who are the saints? That's y'all, okay? To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity and faith and, and then the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body by building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So very clearly, God's saying the role of the pastor, the role of, of teachers, the role of the staff of the church is to build up the body. Right, So that you guys can do the work of ministry alongside us. 
God also makes it clear through the ministry of the early church that we are all to share the good news of Jesus. John even says it in that verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14 through 15 that we just read, where John is saying, you've got to tell people about what God's doing in your life. In the past, I want you to think about this for a moment, because this was kind of a, I, I hadn't thought of it in this way before. In the past, priests were the only people who had access to God, right? Those that worked in the temple who were able to go into the Holy of Holies, they were the only ones. All of Israel could see the temple. They knew God's presence was in there, but they had no access to it. But because of Jesus, because of what he has done, all believers have access. And, and even we've just read this morning that the Spirit lives in us, right, as believers, as followers of Christ. And now we are able to, to walk and to talk with God for ourselves. We don't have to rely on a priest to do that for us. We get to have that direct communication. Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9-10, through 10, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has delivered us from the darkness. And in response, we declare to the world the goodness of God. Where it says, we proclaim the excellencies of Him. That word here that's translated as excellencies is arete. And it means virtuous actions okay so i want to i want to read that again but i want to put it in there he says that you may proclaim the virtuous actions of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light peter is saying that our job is to proclaim the actions of god to the nations we tell people about what god is doing in our lives we read this this morning. I didn't tell David or Leah that we're going to be talking about this distinctly this morning. And I don't know if it was you or if it was Leah that picked Psalm 89, 15, but I want to read it again to you. He said, blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, right? Who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. You see what God is doing here, right? He's got a message for us. This is our job as a body. I want us to look around. I want you to look at the faces in the room right now. And I want you to notice that you recognize everyone that's here. Picking up where I'm laying down. There are people in our lives who don't know Christ. Whom I don't know and probably never will. Those people are your people. That message, those excellencies are to be proclaimed by you. When we talk about proclaiming the excellencies, we're telling others, we are literally telling them of all of the amazing things that God has done and will do in our lives as we walk with Him in obedience. Church, it's gotten comfortable almost to do that here. It needs to become comfortable to do that when you're sitting in your office. It needs to become comfortable doing that when you're standing in line at the grocery store. It needs to become comfortable when you're sitting on the sidelines at a football game or a baseball game or a soccer game. I'm going to give you an example. Craig shared a testimony last week, but he left out part of the story. So in the famous words of Paul, Sto Paul Harvey, and now for the rest of the story, raise your hand if you remember Paul Harvey. 
Okay, good. All right, all right. Now for the rest of the story. So Craig asked this couple that he met who only spoke Spanish if they go to church. Remember, he's using Google Translate. Okay, and the lady tells him, no, they haven't found one. So Craig tells them that he has a friend who's planting a Hispanic church. Okay, that's where Craig stopped the story. I want to tell you the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that J.J. and Meyer reached out to them. They, he got their information, got it to J.J. and Meyer. And please correct me if I get any details wrong. Okay, but J.J. and Meyer reached out to this couple. And J.J. found out that this guy needed some work. He's doing work in the kitchen. So he hires a guy to come help him do sheetrock work in the kitchen. All right? And in the process of working on sheetrock, J.J. shares the gospel with this guy. The fact that God came to do all the things we just discussed. And the guy prayed to receive Christ while they're doing sheetrock work. That's amazing enough in and of itself. But what I want to point out is that all of this happened because Craig followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God said, hey, you need to talk to these people. And he's like, I don't even speak their language. And God's like, who made your mouth, bro? I got Google Translate right here. Okay? And God connected with some people who do speak the same language. God spoke that he needed to tell this couple about Punto de Conexión. Craig heard God's, his, his speech. God heard him. He obeyed him. And then we all get to see what God can only get credit for. Amen? This man came to faith in Christ because Craig obeyed what God called him to do. Craig couldn't proclaim the excellencies of God to this guy because he didn't speak the same language, but he knew a couple who could. This is not an experience that can only happen in the life of Craig Glasscock. This is something that God has called all of us to. God wants all of us to be, to be able to experience that. God wants us to find and experience the joy that comes from introducing someone who fixes the problem of sin in their life. We've all been called to share what it means to know God progressively and the joy that comes from knowing Him. We share our stories of God's love and how it's changed our lives. Look what Peter goes on to say. He says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power and for, uh, forever and ever. Amen. Church, we do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you this story about Craig, and we all feel really good about it. We're like, go Craig! Good job, man! And you, you might think to yourself, man, I hope God does that for me one day. Like one day in the future, I hope God just gives me one experience like that. Church, if we're trying to do it in our own power, that's all we're ever going to get. Maybe one. Maybe. Because maybe one day we'll muster up enough courage to say something. But what God wants you to understand today is if you're listening to him, if you're obeying his voice, this will happen all the time. This will be a regular occurrence. Because what you and I both know to be true is that when we experience God for ourselves, it changes our lives. And people need to hear that. They need to understand that I want the people in my life to feel what I feel when I'm in communication with God. I want them to know the joy of knowing the creator of everything and knowing that he is personal enough to speak into your life. The same God that loves us and that is active in our lives is available.
to the people in our lives. But it relies on us to share it. I got one more example for you. Several months ago, I went to get my oil changed. Uh, the place on Jackson Street, I think it's called Five Minute Oil Change or whatever. When I pulled in, David was in front of me. I was like, oh, hey, what's up, David? Now, what David didn't know when I pulled up was I had gotten an email from Five Minute Oil Change for $15 off an oil change. Now, I got, a op- I got choices to make here. Okay, so I clicked on the email, and it wasn't just like a single coupon in the email. It was a coupon that's on their website. So I have the option of I can keep this as a secret for myself, or I can send David a link, and he can also get $15 off his oil change. Yeah, who doesn't want to save $15? Everybody does, okay? What's the obvious choice? Don't send it to David. Why would I do that? No. <laughs> keep him poor. The obvious answer is I share the coupon with David, and I did. And he was like, dude, thanks. Awesome, right? Church, we, we got the coupon of all coupons. We got the get out of jail free card. We got the don't go to hell gift card, right? We know the information. We know the God that loves us. And there are people in our lives who don't know that. And because we are afraid of awkwardness, we keep that coupon to ourselves. And I know that's a silly example, but it's just as silly to keep that from people because we're afraid of anything. You see where I'm going with this? God has made himself available to all of us. The greatest deal in the history of all deals, because God loves us, he sacrificed his son to save us from ourselves, to deliver us from the sin that we are born into, so that we can enjoy a relationship with him right now. Not only that, but if we will accept that gift, God's going to not only save us, but he's going to walk with us through life. He's going to be with us just like he was with Adam and Eve walking in the garden. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Check out this garden I made. It's awesome, isn't it? That's what God wants. He wants us to know him. As we deal with the brokenness of, of the world and all the heartbreak that it brings, we have access to the God of the universe who can redeem all of those horrible experiences and turn them into joy. And there are people around us living in the brokenness of the world who need to have the brokenness redeemed so they can experience joy too. And we're holding a coupon. So the question is, what are you going to do with it? Our mission is to lead people to know God by experience. As you experience God for yourself, obey what he's saying by sharing with others so that they can experience both salvation and an abiding relationship for themselves. Share it so other people can know about the best deal there ever was. Way better than $15. Amen? Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you had me go back through this this week for myself. God, it's such a good reminder for me to to focus on what matters, on who we are, who you've called us to be. Father, as we close out in worship this morning, I ask that our hearts would be directed directly towards you. Father, that in this moment we could experience your spirit and that our motivation would not be um, a a weak sermon or a, a moment of guilt, but Father, our motivation would be the love that we are experiencing through you. Father, we would be compelled to share that joy with the other people around us and the source that it comes from. God, do that in our lives this week. Give us opportunities to share the beauty of who you are with the people in our lives that need to hear it the most. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.